If there's any kids left that want to go to Kids Point, they're dismissed uh, at this time to go back to their class. Uh, well, good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Adam Kuntz, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And it's just a privilege and an honor to be able to share my heart with you this morning as we open up God's Word. We're in week two of our Advent series, and we're going to take a look at a portion of a hymn that we are very familiar with, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And as I was looking through the list of songs we had to choose from, I felt a draw to pick this song because the way Kendra and I chose to spell our son's name is uh, Herald, as in uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and that he would herald the good news of Jesus. So I felt a, a pressure to pick this song for him. But uh, beyond that, this song is incredibly rich. It's profound. And we should, we should pause and consider the words that we sing during this holiday season. So I'm really looking forward to the rest of this series that we, we do take time to pause and consider. What are the songs that we sing every year around this time and really consider what and have it point to the text for us and see what the text has to say. So um, to give a little background and history to the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, it was written by Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, in 1739. And if I'm being 100% honest with you this, mor this morning, I had to consult the great theologian Google to find out what's a hark. And uh, found out, hark means listen, so the phrasing of that question didn't even make sense, because I asked Google, what's a listen? And so I instantly knew that this sermon is going to be going off to a great start. <laughs> so felt really good about myself after that. The original reads different today than it did back then. The original opening line was, hark how the welkin rings. I know what you're thinking. What's a Welkin is my next Google search. <laughs> and I discovered that Welkin means heaven. Nothing was getting past me in this sermon, I'll tell you that. So in 1753, George Whitefield, a student and eventual colleague of Wesley's, adapted the poem into the song that we know today. Whitefield was the person who penned the phrase, newborn king. And so this is a song we're pretty familiar with, but... Like most of what this series is going to uncover is that we may sing songs corporately, recite rich theological truth over one another, and all the while miss the gloriousness of it all. And so I'm really looking forward to just pausing, considering the, song, the words in the songs that we sing. The passage, Heart the Herald Angels Sing, uh, the passage that comes from this song is found in Luke chapter 2 the account of the angel speaking to the shepherds. But this morning, I'm not going to spend any time in, in Luke chapter 2. Rather, I want to dive specifically into one powerful phrase that is a New Testament reality that we see all over the pages of Scripture. I kept listening to the song and kept looking over the lyrics of the song, and time and time again, I kept getting stopped at one line of the song. God and sinners reconciled. It just kept shouting at me. Like, we need to talk about this. And I'm not saying the rest of the song isn't great and it's fan because it's fantastic, 
But how jam-packed is this one line? God and sinners reconciled. Now something that we're not going to do is treat the song as scripture and exegete the song, but rather we're going to allow this song, more specifically this one line, God and sinners reconciled, let it point us to the text. We're going to see what the text has to say about God and sinners reconciled. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, verse 11 through 22. So in your Bibles, you could turn there with me. Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 22. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and we're going to see what the Lord has for us this morning. Verse 11 starts out saying this, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building, being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we open your word, God, that it brings about refinement. God, that it can sharpen our hearts. God, that it can mold our hearts to look more and more like Jesus. God, I pray as we look into this passage, God, that the reality that God and sinners being reconciled would just permeate our hearts. God, that you would press the truths that we uncover deeply into our hearts and that you would be glorified in it, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, Tim had one slide Uh, and I'm going to do that again. So hopefully don't get in a bad habit of this. But anyway, you have to look at my pretty face for a little bit longer. So we have one slide, one main point this morning. I really don't want to deter away from from the one main point. The main point is this, that Jesus Christ is the gracious intervention of God on behalf of sinners. I don't want to stray from that. That's where we're going to be this morning. So God and sinners reconciled. It's such a beautiful and theologically packed sentence that I hope and pray that God would use that to awaken our hearts and deepen our surrender towards Him. 
just to make sure that we're all on the same page towards the word reconcile. The word reconcile, you, you hear it a lot, you see it a lot. It means to bring back together again. A distraught husband wants to be reconciled to his wife who has left. A worried mother longs to be reconciled to a wayward son or daughter. The lost sinner needs to be reconciled back to God, brought back together again. The fact that God would choose to reconcile sinners to himself is wildly unthinkable. I mean, I've reworked through Genesis recently, and some of the stories you read just in Genesis are crazy. And you think if God would just wipe the slate clean and just try again, I would get it. This is wild because to see the broken realities in humanity and for God to still choose to draw near to us through the person of Jesus to reconcile us once again is crazy. I mean, the reason why we need to be brought back together in the first place is not shocking. There's a great separator in all of this, and the great separator that divides man and God is sin. Sin is the reason why we need to be reconciled. Let's back up in Genesis. God and man were at one time together in the garden. Right after the creation account in chapter 1, God creates man, and it was so, so good. Man is doing as he was created to do. He's caring for Eden and naming the livestock It was a good relationship between man and God. This was how it was intended. Humanity glorifying the Father, doing as humanity was created to do. And God sees it as good, but it wasn't good for man to not be with someone that corresponds with him. So God creates for Adam a helper, and you know the story. Adam enters into a deep sleep, and God creates woman from Adam's rib. And then not only was God and Adam in right relationship with one another, but so was God along with Adam and Eve. There's a moment in Scripture where there was perfect relationship, and it was so good. Then Genesis 3 happens. Sin enters the world. Separation And now this perfect relationship that we found in Genesis that was so, so good, this perfect relationship is now separated. It's broken. It's tainted. Man is no longer able to dwell with God in the garden. The ground is now cursed. Labor is now painful. We will wipe sweat from our brow and we will return to dust since that is where we were taken from. And yet God, in His tenderness and in His gentleness and in His grace, though we had sinned against Him, God made clothing for Adam and Eve. And He drove them out of the garden. Now see, Genesis 3 is not the only place that things got dicey. Soon after, we see story after story how sin continually separates sinners from God. Cain and Abel separated from each other and leads to Cain killing Abel. Genesis 6, 5-13 talks about the earth being filled with violence. And the only remedy seemed to be judgment. After the flood, 
men sinned against God and each other and even tried to build their own unity without God's help. And this resulted in God's judgment and scattered the nations and confused the tongues. It was then that God called Abraham and through the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ came to the world. It was Jesus who left his heavenly throne to set in the motion the plan to reconcile sinners to God. To bridge the gap between suffering sinners and a holy God. Gracious intervention. God and sinners reconciled. In this particular passage that we just read a few moments ago, Paul just got done explaining that Gentile believers who are far off can be brought near not only to God, but to God's people. In this case, it would be to the Jews. And in Christ, the most hostile enemy can be reconciled to God. Paul talks about how hopeless their situation was without Christ. And he announces how stunningly amazing it is because of God's grace and then explain how God has completely transformed and reversed our situation because of the gracious intervention of Christ on behalf of sinners. Look back with me at the passage, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Paul starts out his passage with a so then. So in light of what I just talked about in verses 1 through 10, which is an incredible passage of Scripture, Paul says, in light of what I just talked about, remember where you came from. He says in verses 1 through 10 that you were dead. Not just kind of dead, sort of dead, like you were dead, dead. Like in the morgue, lifeless because of your sin. He starts out with this bleak reality of our origin of just you were dead. Because of that is where he starts off this passage. Paul is saying in this passage that you Gentiles were at one time outsiders. You were different than the chosen people of God, and at that time, you were without Christ. And then it goes into this other word. In the passage, it says you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Foreigners to the covenants of promise. Without hope and without God in the world. Paul is revisiting with the brothers and sisters in Ephesus their origin story. This is who you were This is where you came from. You were far off. You were distant. You were different. Excluded and without hope and without God. I mean, this seems pretty grim, right? Like, this is awful. Like, what are we going to do, you know? But then verse 13 happens. Look at it. But now... This is the same but now that Paul uses in verses 1 through 10, and that but now, because of God's grace, it's like, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this is pretty spectacular, right? Like, we're not just missing this. To go from the bleak origin story of just the realities of broken humanity and sin to this outstanding news that you were dead, you were far off, 
You were distant. You were excluded without hope and without God. And it was because of your sin. But now, because of Christ, you are far away and you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a gospel truth that you and I need to hold on to and remember. That God and sinners reconciled. I mean, this is the gospel message. God and sinners reconciled. This is fantastic news. Now, the first part of chapter 2 that we didn't read, like I said, verses 1 through 10, is bringing this to light that we are reconciled to God and it's done through the blood of Christ. And in this passage, Paul is making it clear that not only were we once far off and now brought near to God, but we're also far off from each other. Brothers and sisters, polar opposites. And we've been brought near through the blood of Christ. We've been brought near vertically and we've been brought near horizontally. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. In light of their past situation and circumstance, Paul now turns their attention to their present reality. Christ is our peace. Now notice Paul is all done using this you versus us language. It's now Christ is our peace together. Christ is our peace. And peace in this instance is not a set of favorable circumstances. It's not circumstantial security. It's not that Christ is here and he's bringing peace with him. It's that peace is a person. That Christ himself is peace. And you know Isaiah 9.6. It even Scripture even calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Peace is a person. Jesus bringing those who are far off into his loving presence. Who made Jew and Gentile together under the banner of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. I mean, Jews and Gentiles, they, these were two separate groups, and they were very different from each other. They had different dietary observance, different laws to observe, different rituals to perform, and all of these were great dividers amongst each other. But Christ's work on the cross bringing near those who are far away, Jews and non-Jews. And it's in Christ, this very definition and image of peace that we have been brought near, reconciled this gracious intervention of God on behalf of sinners. During the actual writing of this letter to the Ephesians, if you could imagine this, there was a physical wall standing in the temple that excluded the Gentiles Josephus tells us that on the wall there was a sign, it was in both Latin and Greek, warning the Gentiles that you are not to cross this barrier. Don't cross this wall in any way lest you die. 
I mean, could you imagine just the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles of just like, I'm not welcome here. There's just this alienation, this foreigners, and they were just living up to this, you're different than us. But Jesus' finished work on the cross obliterated any spiritual dividing wall, making way for all that fall under the banner of Jesus' blood. Let's move on to verses 17 and 18. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Why would Jesus care so much about proclaiming the good news of peace to Jews and Gentiles? One commentary answers that question, saying that he did so because he knows that if there is not peace between us, we cannot fully know the peace that he gave his blood to bring to us. In the Old Testament, access to God was difficult. It was restricted, it was limited. But now, through Christ's atoning death and reconciling work, we all, Jew, Gentile, faith in Christ, all have access to the Godhead. And we notice that in the the Trinitarian language here in verse 18 that Paul is using, he says, for through him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The unity that we long for and the unity that we're designed for is exemplified perfectly in the unity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Paul starts to wrap up his thoughts here with verses 19 through 22. And he says, So then, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So Paul's like saying to these Gentiles, those that were far off, he he says, you're no longer foreigners or strangers. We think how good of news this is to the the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Like, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're no longer excluded. He says, let's revisit where you came from. You were Christless. You were separated from Christ. You were homeless. You were alienated. And now, you're part of the family. They've been reconciled. You've been brought together again. And as God's people being brought back together to the Father, walk in unity because they know peace with a capital P, the Prince of Peace. And in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, they're being put together brick by brick for the building up of the temple, God's people being used for God's purposes. God and sinners reconciled through the avenue of gracious intervention of Jesus. If there were two pieces of action or application that this passage is calling us to, one of them is be reconciled to God. Why go through this passage in light of God and sinners reconciled? I want to answer that question by talking about God's nearness. 
Throughout the pages of Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the promise of God, of God's nearness, is one that I personally find comforting. I want to read off some of of those passages that God promises His nearness. And in this time, I want you just to take it in. You can close your eyes and just let me read these over you, but these have been passages that have personally ministered to me in seasons where I felt alone and I needed to be reminded of God's nearness to me. So I'm going to read some passages. Just let the word minister to your heart. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Joshua 1.9 Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, You will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 139, 7-10. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near all who call out to him. All who call out to him with integrity. And then there's this beautiful bookend in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 1, 23. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Matthew 28, 20. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Revelation 3.20, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. God's word is truly a gift. There must be a reason why we need consistent reminders throughout the pages of Scripture that we are not alone. Think back to when you were a child. Did you ever run into your parents' room when you were scared at night? Maybe you were scared of the dark because of monsters or noises or what have you, and you would run into your parents' room where it was also dark. The circumstance didn't change. The house was still dark. But one major thing did change. You were not alone anymore. The presence of a parent to a child, even in the middle of an unchanging circumstance, can bring peace to a heart that is otherwise. 
Now that's an easy word picture for us to hold on to in terms of kids and parents, but what about now? What about today? What about last week or last month? What about the season you're in right now where you just feel very, very alone? I would encourage you to highlight, write, write them out. Remind yourself of the passages that we just read. Because you may have very real feelings about being alone. And I say that word feeling intentionally because feelings aren't dictators, they're indicators. What God's word just told me and is telling us is that you and I have never been alone. God's word tells us that and assures us of that, that we've never had a moment where God has left us to ourselves. That God's word's been consistent to tell us that I'm with you. And I'm sending Emmanuel, God, with you. I'm with you in this. And we've never had a moment where we've been alone. We may have felt that God has been distant. We may have felt that God has been absent. Or we may have felt that God is just disinterested in our lives. But God's word is telling us, I've never left you. I've always been with you. I'm always right there with you in the thick of it. And I have given you Jesus to be the gracious intervention on your behalf so that you who are one time were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has something to say to the person that feels alone. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you in this. I've never left you. So be reconciled to God. Let God's word minister to you. Let God's word remind you of the truth that we need to hear. Secondly, this passage is calling us to be reconciled to one another. In that same light of being reconciled back to God, it doesn't end there. This passage is telling us that we need to get some skin in the game when it comes to being reconciled to one another. There's a unique relation to brothers and sisters in Christ. You can look around this room and see a wide range of interests and styles and hobbies and jobs and so on, but under the banner of Jesus, we are uniquely unified and more similar than we would think to acknowledge. So what does the gospel and God's gracious intervention have to say about how we interact and engage with one another? Take interest in one another. Love each other deeply. Graciously intervene into their world. You are more similar than you realize. We had a short season where our youngest son, Harold, was in the NICU, and there were people that we knew pretty well and people that we didn't know very well that were graciously intervening into our world to take care of our gas or provide food or be interceding for us through prayer. There was a gracious intervention that happened through God's people, and it was an encouragement to us. Graciously intervene on behalf of God's people because you're more alike than we dare acknowledge. We are uniquely unified under the banner of the gospel. 
And I'm not trying to just pump fake energy into this room and cross my fingers and hope that we linger a little longer today and talk a little longer today. But under the banner of the gospel and Jesus' gracious intervention, those that are found in Christ, we all have a similar story. You may be different than me in every single way, but in Christ, we are similar. I too was once far off and I was also brought near under the banner of Jesus' work on the cross. You may be visiting our church for the very first time and every person you meet is going to be the first time you meet them and probably the last time you meet them. But guess what? You're still uniquely unified to brothers and sisters in Christ because you too were once far off but you've been brought near by Jesus' blood and work on the cross. That's all of our stories and if we've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, yeah, we may be different, we may be diverse in so many ways, but I'm thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ that continue to point me and point each other to the gospel. That God and sinners have been reconciled by the work of Jesus. Every week we gather in this room and brothers and sisters in Christ that are very different than me sing the gospel over me faithfully. I hear the gospel from this spot come forth week after week and I need it and you need it and I need the church and the church needs me and you need the church and the church needs you. And outside of this physical building and structure, graciously intervene. We are still the church Monday through Saturday. And one of my favorite things that happens here Sunday after Sunday, one of the things I noticed right off the bat that in worship, you and I can hear brothers and sisters singing over and with each other. You know some of the stories going on in the room around you, and even there's some Sundays where you may struggle just believing the words that you're singing this morning, and sometimes you look around and you're like, I'm borrowing the faith of that person. They are carrying me this morning because I don't believe the words myself. And God, through His grace, is allowing us all to be uniquely unified together horizontally and vertically. The capital C church, she's not perfect, but she is beautiful. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat>